Hello, I'm built in Mike. No, um, <laughs> it's not as good as headphone jack. <laughs> <laughs> headphone jack and built in Mike are back. One of the worst DJ names ever. <laughs> or maybe a, a terrible buddy cop movie. Here we go again. Uh, tonight we have an. <laughs> this is terrible. It must be the snow. I don't know. That's a, what, um, what, that's a, is a blizzard opening. It's such a cold as opening. As opposed to a cold opening. It's a wintry mix, as one of our friends would say. <laughs> You're listening to episode 57 of Time to Lean, and here's a song with John and Phil and special guests. Guest. Chris H. There's only one Chris H. I don't know why I said special guests. Anyway, here, here, here are the guys. We have a special guest uh, tonight, Chris H. Chris, uh, Chris knows John from the. Well, I'll, I'll say, I, I'll let you talk, Chris. But why don't you, why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself? Uh, kind of the elevator speech, I guess, like who you is. Sure. Well, my name's uh, Chris, and uh, thanks very much, uh, Phil and John, for having me on tonight. Um, a little bit about myself, you know, I I kind of orbit in, in two different worlds, uh, one being the music world and one being the medical device industry, uh, which I've worked in uh, for about 10 years in a couple different roles, but right now I'm setting up a data management division for their regulatory affairs uh, business. Kind of a weekend warrior, night warrior in the music, in the music world. Uh, that's how John and I got to know each other. Very thankful uh, to to know John, uh, great bass player, really great addition to the band that that I used to play in, that I sub in occasionally, called the Jerry O'Hagan Orchestra. Um, really nice ballroom band. But you know, I, I'm pretty much a jack of all trades for uh, music. You know, I, I love playing big band music, um, but also uh, play in a lot of uh, like the top 40 or cover bands, uh, wed- wedding band music, and have been a member of the Musicians Union for about uh, 15 years. Uh, some interesting uh, musical experiences, you know, played with the Temptations last year, uh, Butch Miles uh, from the Count Basie Orchestra a uh, couple couple years in a row, the Wolverines uh, Classic Jazz Orchestra um, had him, uh, but a lot of lot of great uh, musical experiences locally. I play saxophone, clarinet, and flute, um, and I'm a definite foodie. Collect wine and collect bourbon and scotch uh, as hobbies, and uh, read a lot of books and listen to a lot of music. So that's kind of kind of me in a nutshell. <laughs> that that's really extraordinary. I mean, so much <laughs> packed into that. What two minutes? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. That, that's wow. great. the the music the, the musical areas that we kind of cross over obviously are the mostly the big band things, and um, the area that we don't cross over into is uh, symphony orchestra playing. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you've well, John, in that actually, actually um, oh, we, we did yes, we did do one. The Mankato Symphony, yeah, yep. uh, you're I'm, right. I am not a symphonic player for the record uh, whatsoever, but I, I love listening to uh, classical music. But yeah, you and I, we uh, for a couple of years in a row uh, down at Mankato Symphony uh, for the uh, Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker and Ellington Strayhorn's version of Nutcracker, where yes. you, uh, your orchestra would, would play the Tchaikovsky symphonic arrangement, and then we'd, we'd go and, and jazz it up a little bit with Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn. <laughs> yeah, that that is a great... Great piece of music. I've never gotten to play it. Actually, the 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 Ellington one, unfortunately. 
oh. love to do that someday. It, it's I think, I think one of my favorite have, holiday uh, things. They should have the nutcracker in a nutshell. I think that would be like a shorter version. <laughs> it's That's two good. minutes yeah. long, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty long, especially for probably the, the kids to, to, to listen to. Yeah, the short attention span nutcracker. <laughs> or, or, or me. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't going to say that. But Wait, what were you talking about? See, it's just fruit <laughs> Yeah, and, and Chris, you're also, uh, you play golf, don't you? Uh, yeah, I, I was bitten by the golf bug. I, I remember oh uh, the first time that I played, my parents uh, dragged me out to – I grew up in uh, in the northern suburbs of Minneapolis, and they dragged me out to Bunker Hills Golf Course on Memorial Day. And I was like, what are we doing out here, and why would you go outside and, and, and play golf? I mean, there's so many other things you could do in, with a beautiful day, but – uh, they let me uh, tag along, and uh, hit, I hit a shot, and I think I was hooked after the first shot, and have kind of, kind of uh, duffed it around for I don't know 20 years uh, or so. Not not uh, not in a tournament uh, setting, but playing a couple golf leagues and things like that. Haven't had much of a chance um, to do it uh, this year. Just really busy with work, but yeah, I love golf. Love watching golf. So it sounds like you have. Let's see, you have some rather expensive hobbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have the bourbon collecting, right? Scotch collecting. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Are. Well, that, that's great. So, um, I'll start out with Phil. What do you What do you got drink in your drink tonight? Yeah, I usually start with me because it's less uh, exciting. I oh, I yeah. tend to explore the uh, the lower shelves, but uh, I um, well, actually, for my birthday, I got some. Uh, I, I call it uh, Leapfrog 10.5 years, but it's actually uh, Lefroig 10 year I got because I wanted something smoky and not, mm-hmm. something not too expensive. And John recommended that. So I got that. And uh, I had one of those before the show here. And um, then I decided to just pour some of my bourbon uh, over the ice. That I I just have it's just cabin still today is real mm-hmm. I'm exploring really really cheap bourbon but if for for the price range it's pretty good but it's got a little bit left of that smoke on the ice so it's kind of interesting so I I guess maybe I did my own blend tonight so that's pretty exciting it's like peated bottom shelf <laughs> bourbon <laughs> you never it's know it, it could work <laughs> it, it's good for a nice. Uh, blizzard night here where <laughs> this is a perfect night perfect night for smoky well almost any whiskey really oh yeah i didn't want to have too much of i'm i'm trying to stretch out the the flag. yeah but, we're finally getting a huge storm today here in twin cities yeah it's like december it, i mean it's what is it christmas like in a couple of days and here we are we haven't even had snow hardly well chris what do you have in your glass well, right now here, I, I do have to preface by saying, um, after after the show, I, I'll be making some uh, pasta dish, and I did pour off a little wine just to see how it would go with the with the pasta. And I, I will get to the bourbon, but um, have just a, an ounce of a uh, a producer um, called Rivers Marie, and it is um, by a winemaker named Thomas Rivers Brown and uh, his his uh, partner. Um, uh, Genevieve Welsh, and um, it is a 2018 Herblam single vineyard uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. 
And I oh. had to, I had to get into it because you know I bought a couple bottles and I needed to make sure that the quality was good enough to hold for a couple years and age away. But I think for for bourbon uh, tonight, um, so we've got a Buffalo Trace uh, product uh, that Phil has. Um, and then John, I don't want to steal your thunder, so I know what you've got. So I, I'm going to have to choose probably either Knob <laughs> Creek single barrel. I, I've been mm-hmm. um, um, scouring the Twin Cities Metro for different single barrels of Knob Creek, and um, have found uh, quite a few. You know, some that are nine years old, some that are 15 years old. So it's it's interesting to compare. Uh, uh, fairly well-aged bourbon, like a nine-year bourbon, to uh, um, an extra-aged or kind of old bourbon, a uh, 15-year. And then what's kind of cool about it is there are – I've got two nine-year or so old barrels um, from different one, – one store in western Wisconsin like Hudson and one store um, – uh, you know, I'm forgetting where that other store is. But at any rate – these barrels were were pretty much sister barrels. They were they were in the same uh, rickhouse on on the same floor and probably barrels right next to each other. So I think I might do a little uh, comparison there. So so Chris, did you um, you you said they were sister barrels? Did did you just compare the numbers on them? Yeah, okay. I mean they're absolutely sequential, and they were they were filled on the same date. Um, oh and my They goodness. were barreled a couple months apart. That's really cool. Yeah, that's one thing I've really wow. We we when we were uh, on our recent Michigan trip, we had a chance, fortunately, because you brought some of them to talk about all those Knob Creek single barrels. And the great thing about Knob Creek is they're so big; they have a pretty wide distribution of single barrel offerings, and they're not amazingly hard to find. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, and and actually, at sometime. A few, I think it was two months ago, Phil. We we did our uh, an episode where we compared two different Knob Creek rye single barrels. Yeah, that and was that, fun. That was really interesting because they were quite different. Yeah, that was. I I don't know. I I didn't really understand the stave thing. I thought it was kind of a. I, well, that I, I'll admit. Well, that didn't apply no. to the 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 rye that we had. Oh, never mind. That that's no. That's the that other was the stuff. other day. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Okay, but to my point, the save thing I've just been trying to figure out. I thought at first it was some kind of gimmick, you know, but it really does make a difference. But. Well, I mean, Phil, to your point, I mean, I, I know we're talking about the Maker's Mark staves, but but to your point about the the larger stave being the barrel, barrels make a, a big difference, and you know, one one barrel next to another, they they're they've got the same aging. Um, the same atmospheric uh, climate, um, but they they turn out completely different. I mean, one of one of the barrels wow. is sweet and um, caramely and brown sugary, which I really like. Yeah. Um, and not quite the knob. I think Jim Beam has a specific type of funk, and I don't want to go down that road necessarily. But I think it's really tied to the type of yeast that each distillery uses. But at any rate, so this one I would consider slightly off profile, a little a little bit sweeter um, than most Knob Creeks. And then the other one almost has a vegetative or like a vegetable greenness and herbaceousness wow. that I would <laughs> almost tie into more uh, characteristic of a rye whiskey. So uh, they're both bourbons. There's um, so. And and one I like much more than the other. Uh, and, <laughs> so and, I don't you know, know, that was our, our experience with the the 
the two different single barrel ryes we had mm-hmm. that one of them was um i think it was a high v grocery store liquor store pick oh cool and the other one was um from the parlor bar in saint paul oh yeah um yeah. that was picked by their people i'm assuming um same age state same strength all that stuff but there was a clear difference and we both liked the parlor bar one quite a bit better just goes to show you john john's been uh scouring the twin well chris chris kind of got me hooked on this particular disease (laughs) (laughs) well because i I look for him now it's kind of like uh, my my parents uh, and grandparents are big antiquers, right? So they like to go to different small towns and antique. And I don't necessarily like antiques, but I like going to little small towns or obscure liquor stores and seeing what they have. So I, I kind of view it as my version of antiquing. <laughs> you never, <laughs> never know what you're going to find. Yeah, and I have to remember to actually check these places because nine times out of ten, there's nothing interesting there. But you, you never, never know. know, and I think that the the more obscure or hard to get things, that's probably where you're going to find them. Yeah, and that of course that does bring us back to the the Jim Beam stuff. Or, or who makes Knob Creek is they 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 have a lot of single barrel and other varieties because they're so big. It's mm-hmm. not as hard to find as a lot of the the more obscure things that um, uh, Buffalo Trace makes that are so notoriously rare like the the pappy van winkles and all that stuff that are you know notoriously bad as far as availability and all that stuff yeah by design perhaps well you could argue that yeah it's very artificial scarcity and very overhyped there's no overhype with sleepy time lemonade or artificial scarcity i have 12 bottles in my cabinet right now well, which which company makes uh, Cabin Still? That's um, did I did I mention that it was? I don't know. I can't remember. You know, I think Buffalo Trace makes that one. See, Buffalo Trace was <laughs> it's one of one my of weird off-brand ones. Wrong. Heaven Hill makes Cabin Still. Now you'll remember because it rhymes. Well, I, I what Buffalo Trace was one of my go-to's for quite a while, and of course Eagle Rare. I I like that's in the same family, right? Yes. And uh, I can't find that right now. Eagle Rare became my favorite when it was less rare. So I guess, isn't that funny? I just like, hey, Cabin Still is cheap and it's in the same family. So maybe that's. It, it is so disappointing. I, I, I got into uh, about about the scarcity of commodity bourbon. And I, I'm not sure if Eagle Rare falls into commodity bourbon, but I know when I started getting to bourbon at about uh, 2012 or so, it was very easy to find. Yeah. Um, it was very easy to find Elmer T. Lee on the on the shelf. Oh, that, yeah, and that one is really you hard. Know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, I never even saw that one. <laughs> and I, I, I do have quite a large whiskey collection, antiquing, going. But, but you know, I just opened the last <laughs> bottle of Elmer T. Lee I bought back in 2013. And it is absolutely uh, delicious. It's not yeah. profound. It's just everything you want a bourbon to be. And I think um, Eagle Rare fits that bill too. I think they're just delicious. Uh, for, they're delicious for $30. But, you know, people yes. paying the secondary yeah. secondary prices um, these days. That's I think that's part of the reason. I don't want to side rail. Um, but it's part of the reason that I really got into wine because 
I was so sick and tired of uh, like the trophy hunting. I was so sick and tired yeah. of trying to look for Pappy Van Winkle, uh, <laughs> look for the you know Buffalo Trace antique collection, um, and you know being burned. I mean, I I have gotten plenty of those bottles, but it's just at the end of the day, is uh, is it worth is it worth the time investment and the dis- potential disappointment of that? Because you know when I was getting into it it was a lot easier to find. Um, it, it was a lot easier just to create a relationship with a certain liquor store manager. All, all I know is that I never had to sleep with a, anyone to get sleep at time lemonade. And then when those allocations uh, came up, I would get a call and it would be, um, okay, Chris, uh, we've got these five bottles. Which one do you want? <laughs> and you know, it was it was easy. And I think, you know, they're rare for a reason and they're very they're at the top of the craft for bourbon. But there's a lot of enjoyment. I mean, going back to what you said, Phil, about cabin still, there's a there's an enjoyment. Um, you you could use it as a beverage and not necessarily like something you'd have to philosophize over. No, no. no right. so that, I always <laughs> ha- try and keep a, a spread and I don't really have a collection. I like Chris does, but um, try and have a spread of kind of stuff to throw on ice or make, mm-hmm. you know, basic whiskey cocktails with or stuff that is a little higher end that you break out more occasionally. And I think that's kind of important, important to have. And and, and I th- with bourbon especially, it seems like there's so much high quality stuff out there. You're, you're it's I think it's you're foolish if you think that you have to have those certain hyped hyped up ones mm-hmm. and because in the in the the high quality bourbons are not just being made by the usual suspects in kentucky there's a lot of great bourbon being made all over the country i things have changed so much over the years at least in my opinion because i mean my uneducated opinion but i uh, i remember i really oh, i don't remember what year it was but i was really getting into rise mm-hmm. back be- back before they were you could you couldn't find them. I was like, I want to try a rye. So there was old Voldemort, as I call it, but um, <laughs> and that was about it, you know. And and then all of a sudden, I mean, I, a few years after that, there, um, there were so many more ryes out that just kind of uh, yeah. There used to be like two. There, there, was, there was Overholt as <laughs> the real name, <laughs> and I think Rittenhouse was the other one you could usually find. Yeah, and yep. That was about it. There. <laughs> Yeah, I, the Rittenhouse bottled and bond uh, was yeah. was the one that and old overhauled uh, as well. Um, and and then I think what happened was the uh, co- kind of the craft cocktail culture um, really rye whiskey shines in a cocktail, and I think that demand just blew through the roof. And it takes a long time to age whiskey; you can't make it overnight. And <laughs> and and but you know now now I think I think with uh, the Knob Creek. John, I think you brought that to Mackinac Island, and that that was delicious. And there's yeah. also um, one a little bit older um, than the Rittenhouse, and I'm blanking on the name. It's made by Heaven Hill. Old Fitzgerald, Pikesville, uh, Parker's Heritage, uh, Henry McKenna, Larceny, uh, probably not Mellow Corn or Georgia Moon Corn. Uh, I don't know. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and that's that's okay. aged six years, um, and it's it's good. Um, but what what kind of rye are you guys drinking? 
Well, I still have, again, I still have got my Knob Creek Parlor Bar one because I went back and got another bottle of it. I liked it well enough. And, um, yeah, other, that's um, that's all I actually have on hand. I don't know. I've I have some flipped, Voldemort. <laughs> I, I've kind of flipped back to uh, bourbons just to mm-hmm. explore that a little. Well, well, Chris, what was like, what was like your first whiskey? Ex- ah. <laughs> I, you, so that when, got you, when, got you uh, into this. When we finally nailed a, a date down on this, that was one of the first um, thoughts that popped in my head that you might ask. Um, and <laughs> well, the then first, I didn't ask it. <laughs> I mean, listen, I I, I enjoy uh, drinking cocktails and everything, but I think um, the first bourbon that I truly enjoyed, uh, I got as a housewarming gift. Uh, I got my I bought my first house in 2013. And a, uh, a mutual musician friend of ours, John Scott, um, yeah. got me a bottle, um, and it, it is actually a Knob Creek. It was uh, it was the old Baker's and the old bottle, kind of the wine bottle, uh, the Baker's Seven Year. Um, yeah, it's another and, Jim Beam product. Yeah. Yep. yep. And it was the first bourbon that I enjoyed, uh, neat or on the rocks. And I think the reason for that is. I learned to drink bourbon not as necessarily you would drink water, uh, <laughs> but yep. drink bourbon in very small sips and roll it around your mouth. Kind of, you know, what the what the old master distillers talk about how you should enjoy bourbon, and that was a big uh, uh, a big learning for me, and it really opened up the world of bourbon to me. And there was really no looking back, uh, you know, from a from a collection standpoint to taste standpoint uh because it's it's a big big world of bourbon out there but yeah baker's seven year 107 proof was the first bourbon Mm. that i really enjoyed that's a good point that you mentioned because i when i first had whiskey it was whiskey cokes Mm -hmm. probably uh a turkey coke i think Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. in uh, montana we had to go my first year of college i went to spearfish uh, Mm -hmm. blackfield state but for a while there, you could travel all the way to, I don't know, Beulah, Montana or something like that. It was still, um, you could get, drink whatever you wanted to drink at uh, at a younger age. And uh, so we, <laughs> that just encouraged people to drive. That's not a good idea. But anyway, that was my first experience with whiskey probably was uh, whiskey Cokes. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't think I would have just drank the whiskey on its own back then, but but uh, not I think that, that was pretty common though too. That that's why there was so few high 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 end ones that most most of them were made for you know throwing back on ice or with uh, pop or other mixers things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. You know, it's funny getting to well, I my briefly my first experience with something high quality was probably um, because of my dad was into scotch. That's the first first whiskey I got into and was probably Glenfiddich 12-year, which yeah. uh, is just still to this day is a little nostalgic. That flavor profile just always reminds me of kind of early days and that because that's that's one of the three probably single malts that he could get back in the old days. In South Dakota. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think even na- nationwide, there weren't a ton of them out there. No. And, yeah. Oh, you know, single malts? Probably yeah. not. But, I mean, we're, t- we're talking decades ago. And it was probably that in Glenlivet. And that was probably about it, along with some you know blended blended stuff that was out there. But uh, 
Glenfiddich was the first one I ever really slowed down and tasted. Yeah. And then, and I still enjoy it today. It's it's still a good single malt, but it it's kind of a it's pretty basic. But I still I still enjoy it though. I guess I'd have to say Eagle Rare was the first one that I uh, it kind of opened you up to a different thing. It's like, oh, I liked Buffalo Trace a lot, but this is different. Mm-hmm. So then, but then I started. I think John sent me an image of a like a the family tree, so to speak, of. Uh, of whiskey. Wait, I don't know how long ago that was. Oh, that Back was the up. the American whiskey where where all the different brands are made. That was that was really eye-opening. <laughs> I was like, wow. That was a cool image. I should try to find that again. But And yeah, and there's so much good American whiskey and one, another one that I've really gotten interested in and want to explore more is American single malt whiskey. Mm, mm-hmm. Because there's a lot more of that being made. Um I mean, I think yeah. Balcona's uh in Texas was sure. probably the pioneers of that. They and they make a really, I mean, they make good whiskey in general. But is that the one? I think you, I think I, you let me try one of those, right? Uh, really yeah, good. they're they're blue corn whiskey. Yeah, yeah, which is really tasty. And of course, I brought over my. Uh, oh, I forgot the name of it. The other corn whiskey, the, the mellow corn. Shelf. Mellow corn. Oh, yeah. you know, I, I mellow corn I, is I good. Mellow corn. Yeah, that stuff well, is I a heard steal it. too. Just... I heard about that first, I think, from oh, Ralphie. Oh, that's because, that's because Ralphie recommended it. <laughs> oh, genius. Are you familiar with Ralphie? <laughs> Very Chris? much so. Oh, oh yes. I'm Ralph, not surprised. I, for whatever, I think the stars aligned around 2013, where I started getting into whiskey, and then I was just, you know, surfing YouTube, looking for, you know, advice on, on what to drink and what to try, and landed on Ralphie Mitchell's page, and... Yeah, just uh, one, absolute one of a one of a kind character. Absolutely unfiltered. Yeah, wouldn't yeah. It be fun to visit. Wouldn't it be fun to visit where he records those from? Oh, the Bothy. I would love that. <laughs> I, I would love. He to, is such I would a to such a there. crank. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to. Vi- John, we never talked about what you're drinking. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so let's circle back. Uh, we kind of rein it in a little bit. So I have at the moment. This is going to sound. You're an alcoholic. Um, I have three bottles in front of me of Maker's Mark Private Select <laughs> bourbon, and they're all different uh, oak staves, and they're all from different um, restaurants here in the Twin Cities. Which See, is that's what John's been doing, Chris. He's been going around and like a vulture with the with the these poor restaurants are struggling. Right, and John that, says, and John says, "Hey, can I have a bottle of that?" In truth, what 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 the deal is is there's a liquor store here that's been buying them up, vulture like actually, because um, two of okay. the three are out of business. I think now. You're a third party vulture. Yeah, no, I'm. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I will say I have uh, scooped a couple up at that store as well, but I did not yeah. get the maker's mark. So, how how are they? I mean, well, you know that that's uh, I had mixed uh, results with them. I mean, they're all good because they're all cask strength makers. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can't go too wrong with that. Yeah, but they are quite different, and my favorite one out of the three is the one that Volstead House picked out to me to me that had more of a classic bourbon signature definitely heavy on the vanilla brown sugar notes things like that still pretty woody and the thing about makers is that i 
I've I've never minded Makers. It's a it's a good whiskey, but I've always found the basic version just kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And this Generic. particular uh, and actually the, the the cast strength regular Makers is is quite a bit better too. But yeah, yep. private select stuff just takes it to another level, even though it's the same core whiskey underneath. And the the other two I have are actually well that first one is Volstead House. The second one I have is um, by Bellacor, and they're they're a now out of business restaurant in the western suburbs. And the last one is Butcher and the Boar, which was a downtown Minneapolis restaurant. And the Butcher and the Boar one was my least favorite because it kind of has a somewhat astringent, a little bit too woody flavor profile that to me clashes a little bit with the with the core bourbon taste. John, are there with with the butcher and the boar? Are there more French oak staves in that one? Oh, so I was going to get to that. Yep, yep. Okay. So, um, this one has the <laughs> has four of the French. See, and Chris already picked up on Volstead House. Let me look at it. Oh, but you know, Volstead House has four of them too. Well, why is that better? What What are the other staves? Because so, I, 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 I tried those too, right? Yeah, you did try them. Four and of I the Maker's we Mark 46, which I don't know what what characteristic that one is. No, wait, wait, which French one are you talking about, Chris? <laughs> there's two. Well, there's there, three. There's several? Well, there's the, the ones that have French. There's seared French curvet. There's a roasted French mocha and a toasted French spice. Mm. Oh, and then there's the French kiss. <laughs> and that that also can be astringent sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and this butcher and the boar is heavy. It's got four of each of the seared French and the Maker's Mark 46. And zero and zero of two of the other ones and two of the French spice. So, there, so it's, a, it's the most different, for sure. Let's try to narrow it down, though. So the, the one you didn't like, it has more of what? It has um, Maker's 46, whatever that one is, that stave. There's four of them in Butcher of the Boar, and there's zero in Volstead House. Oh, so maybe that's it. And in the, my second place winner, which was Bellacore, it only has one of the Maker's 46. So it's well, much more see. similar to Volstead House. So for you, that that was maybe the uh, the key thing. That and so yes, and that that's been my experience so far. Um, water kind of helped with the the wood notes a little bit on Butcher and the Boar version, whereas the other two you could actually drink neat. And again, this is fifty five point eight percent alcohol, so it's it's strong stuff. But the other two um, you can do neat, and they work really well. And so that and so what what this whole thing is. Um, they're letting I, th- I think what happens and Chris maybe correct me if I'm wrong but the the people who pick out the single barrel they choose in advance which finishing wood staves go into that barrel and then it's I believe, yeah and then, I, I and then it's like so. aged for another I don't know year or something like that it's actually only a couple months it's not long at all um ah, okay and and wow. Maker's Mark actually built um, a new um, I wouldn't even call it an, uh, a, a rickhouse. It, they actually built 
this aging cave, almost like a, a wine cave that you'd see in in Napa Valley or Bordeaux uh, or Burgundy, in into the side of a, a little hill. Um, and I don't I don't think they age it that long, but um, but apparently enough because I think it has a slightly different profile than uh, Maker's Forty Six or Maker's Mark cast strength and certainly just the regular Maker's Mark. Mm-hmm. And John actually. Talking about all of this Maker's Mark has gotten me inspired to pour a little bit. So I yeah. actually poured some Maker's Mark cask strength, and this is from batch 15-02. So I'm assuming this was 2015, because right when it came out, I bought a couple bottles, and I'm like, I, I've got to try it. Um, and I, I have been on a bit of a, a weeded bourbon kick, because uh, I bought a book called Pappy Land by Wright Thompson. Oh, and, I think I've know, heard of that. Is it good? Um, I, I actually read it. Um, almost all in a night and a <laughs> night with a couple bourbons, you know, uh, starting, starting off my, uh, PTO time. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's good. I think the, the factual, the really factual one, uh, would be the one, um, written by, um, uh, Sally Van Winkle, uh, Julian Van Winkle's sister, um, which is a fantastic book. This one, uh, the author, uh, chronicled Julian Van Winkle for a certain amount of time and, and, and interacted with him on a really personal level. So it's a, it's a, it's a different type of bourbon book. Um, for sure. I, I, I was definitely worth the purchase. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to reread it, but I, I'd recommend it. If you, if you are a fan of uh, Stitzel Weller or just bourbon history in general, or, you know, learning more about uh, Pappy Van Winkle or uh, Julian now, um, it's it's worth it. I, I just have to say that I think this is episode 57, if I'm not mm. if I'm Thanks not incorrect. Thanks for pointing that out. If I'm not incorrect. But this is the first time somebody's mentioned a bourbon book. So yeah, we've, we've, we've recommended, we recommend movies and TV shows, not usually books. I, 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 my short attention span is hard to read. I wish I knew, but I was I was listening to a I think it was oh Sunday morning one of those CBS Sunday morning kind of one of those old people shows that John kids me about watching. But um, <laughs> I think they had the author of that, uh, Pappy Van Winkle, and uh, I think Glenda sent us the link. What are John my and I, yes, super listener. What 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 She's do we come a super up with? Fan. Super fan. She comments constantly on the Facebook page. <laughs> she, she, uh, she, uh, not to keep talking about Glenda because our other listeners will feel left out, but, uh, she kind of does a, oh, not a play by play, but well, kind of like that. When she's watching, she'll, <laughs> or listening. I think she's watching. more familiar with the episodes than we are. <laughs> oh, she references, she references things that, are, oh, okay. Cause I have throwaway lines. I don't know. Just took my first sip of the uh, Maker's Mark cast strength. A bit hot. I actually added yeah. a little bit of water. That was that was my experience with that one too, a little bit. But I, I like it quite a bit though. I mean, Maker's, um, you know, just like Wild Turkey 101. I, I I am a big fan of Wild Turkey 101. I think it gets a bad rap, um, and it's kind of more on the bot- mid bottom shelf. Yeah. Especially for no, its that's price, that's you know. that's my range. You're in the mid bottom shelf. That's my deal. <laughs> well, I, I, I like a I lot like of people 101. like 101, though. I think I yeah. there's there's a taste of wild. I I, I have to say, wild turkey is probably my favorite bourbon. 
um, in all all of its uh, various uh, shapes and sizes. But I don't know. There's something about Wild Turkey 101 that just is delicious to me. Oh, I like it too. So no, and I was gonna I was gonna switch gears here, but so oh, sure. you mentioned you mentioned you played for like weddings, right? Yeah. So do you have like some uh, <laughs> wedding band stories that? Oh. That... <laughs> well, I could yeah. only imagine. I'd say I'd say after 15 years they all kind of blend together. Um, I will <laughs> say make them all, make them all we'll, into one. <laughs> we'll we'll start we'll start at the very high level, um, and um, I'll, I'll say a recipe for success versus a recipe for awkwardness or disaster. And usually um, the kind of the weirder weddings and, you know, I have no problem with people uh, teetotaling, but I will say uh, afternoon weddings with no booze uh, mm. and trying to, you know, get a crowd going and, and dancing to uptown oh funk or something is like pulling teeth. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, some of the, some of the more favorite weddings uh, weddings that I've played have been uh, road trip uh, weddings. And I think tonight, given the fact that we have a, a blizzard on our hands, <laughs> uh, we uh, one of the bands that I play in, uh, we used to pretty much, uh, you know, target five state radius, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. And uh, we started getting more out of town gigs than in town gigs for some reason. And, you know, we'd, we'd go to Sioux Falls or we'd go to Fargo or, you know, even Minot. And I remember one year, I think it was the year that the uh, Metrodome uh, roof collapsed. Oh, yeah. uh, we had a wedding gig in Sioux Falls and we had to make a decision. I think this must have been Friday during the day of saying, all right, so the wedding's Saturday, but we probably can't get out there uh, on Saturday. They'll probably close down I-90 or whichever way we'd go. And uh, so was I-90. <laughs> so we decided to go uh, Friday um, after work and, you know, busted, busted <laughs> uh, to get down there uh, and uh, didn't quite beat the blizzard, but got down there um, safe enough. Um but were stranded uh, because they shut down I-90 through like Sunday <laughs> afternoon. And the same thing happened. Uh, oh, yeah. Same thing happened <laughs> in Fargo uh, the next year. So we kind of nixed uh, playing out-of-town weddings uh, during the winter. But I would say yeah. um, the kind of the crazier things, uh, out-of-town weddings, definitely uh, a lot of especially if a wedding um, has uh, weddings hosted in a hotel with the bridal party and guests being in the hotel, they kind of let their hair down a little bit uh, and the band does as well, but probably um, drunken, uh, drunken uh, uh, wedding party, uh, either groomsmen or bridesmaids uh, uh, can, can lead to an interesting night. Certainly at a bandstand, if you, you know, if you've played the same, same cover music for five years, uh, you kind of have it memorized, so you can kind of just scan the scan the crowd for for interesting. Yep. You know, I I've got I've got picture I've got a, a bunch of pictures, but you know maybe maybe a, a bride or groom having a little too much and uh, taking a nap in the in the back corner of the room, or you know uh, just. Some wild hijinks. I'm not sure how how uh, uh, graphic I could be, but yeah, certainly a lot of laughs. Uh, well, we'll, a lot we'll, of laughs along the way. You, you can be as graphic as you want. We'll just put a disclaimer. But no. 
I think uh, none know, of us are getting out much right now. So I'm just saying, Chris, I, I don't know. But no, you don't need to be too graphic. <laughs> but I, I would say definitely um, uh, a lot of fun experiences uh, traveling. And um, usually alcohol would make a wedding more fun for people, even if if some people take it a little too far. But by far the the weirdest or most awkward would be would be the weddings that uh, aren't serving alcohol uh, in the afternoon or early evening, and everybody leaves after dinner, and we have to play yeah. for three hours to you know a bunch of rugrats just crawling on the dance floor. Oh, I'm sure, oh, John, you've geez. probably seen that before. Kids love to dance, but it's not that fun. Um, yeah, you know, I'd have to I'd have to go back in my mind because I kind of view it as a bit of a mercenary. Uh, just go in, do the game. Oh, it's a job. Uh, yeah, yeah. Make sure my horns don't get knocked over by drunk patrons. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, John, do you have any? I'll try to. I'll try. Well, to no, it's you know, I haven't played a ton of them. I mean, it, it seems like the ones where they'd hire big bands have mostly dried up. But the um, the worst ones were the ones where we would get get hired in there and i think they liked the idea of having kind of a classic you know throw the sinatra tunes out and all that stuff mm-hmm. they that was they liked the idea of that but it wasn't really synced up with what the guests all wanted mm-hmm. and so uh-huh. you would have oh, your audience you'd have you yeah the audience would just kind of ignore you most of the night which is really a bummer yeah. <laughs> when you're doing that and a lot a lot of wasted um talent and money of course you should have said hey we're doing a michael buble number well that yeah yeah happened. maybe i just think that's not what they they, they wanted uptown funk or whatever it was you know the thing. Oh. And, and really they would have been happier with a dj or a, a regular cover band and the best ones i've done as a a, a jazz player are the ones where they kind of split it and they have the you know the old the old folks or classic stuff is done half the night and then they bring in a DJ for the young folks and yeah oh, <laughs> I mean for idea. those who can afford it it's really the best way to go because they kind of have that idea. classic you know like oh we're gonna we're gonna dance to these great old tunes and everything and the the parents and grandparents love it and yet they still can get get out the more current hits and still have Something that there. for all ages so. I, I I totally agree, John. I think the the best thing is, you know, they want the they want the romance and the glitz and the, the right. I don't nostalgia of a big band. Yeah, they see see it in the movies and stuff. Like they they they've got a a jazz band on the on the stage and everything, and there's a romantic thing going on. They that that's a very iconic image a lot of people have in their heads. Um, I would say sometimes sometimes the the craziest stuff is. Um, finding your way to a gig, especially if it's kind of out of town and <laughs> right, you know, yes. maybe pre-smartphone era. <laughs> there have been there have been some stressful stressful times, or maybe a sideman or a sound man that has gotten lost along the way. I think probably the funniest story is not necessarily um, um, as a musician looking out into the crowd, um, but a story about a musician. And this <laughs> musician was a rather um, arrogant. Uh, trumpet player. Not all trumpet players are arrogant, by the way. Um, I, everyone I've definitely... met is. Yeah, you were going to make a comment there. <laughs> everyone I've everyone I've met is, but I don't know if that's. But okay, not all of them. Well, are. They're, they're under a lot of pressure to get those notes out, but but anyway, Physical pressure. Uh, this trumpet, this arrogant trumpet player uh, bought a brand new flugelhorn, and he was really proud of it. Except he didn't bring his flugelhorn stand. So during the set break, 
um, uh, he set his flugelhorn on his seat. And this was a big oh, band. No. Uh, this was a big band gig. And so the trumpets are in the back. They're on risers and they have chairs. And um, and so he set his uh, flugelhorn down, a brand new flugelhorn that he was he was braggadocious about, oh, shall, shall we say. I think that's a, a word. 2020, maybe a 2016 to 2020 term. At any rate, um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, very proud of it. Uh, left to the bar um, and then probably chastised the other three trumpet players for playing out of tune or not swinging or style stuff because he was, he was very particular. Uh. Um, uh, not necessarily uh, uh, deservedly particular, but at any rate. So he's coming back to, uh, to the second set. And um, he was rushing to the stage because he was a little bit late. And um, he sat on his trumpet, or he sat on his flugelhorn, and completely <laughs> flattened this brand new flugelhorn that he was so proud about. So, uh, and you know, I there's a lot of trumpet players in the Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, area that know who I'm talking about, and would ab- would have absolutely uh, would have uh, not a care in the world and no sympathy toward uh, this person and the flattened flugelhorn. <laughs> Oh. I've, I've I've known very few trumpet players, but uh, yeah, I, I I think I get it. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that comes up that that is a recurring joke with some of the combo ones I do is that we'll and they're they're not really wedding ones, just ones where there's catering involved. Is that this one piano player I know will he 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 gets to the gig and is not eaten. And and after he sets up, he goes back in the service area, the kitchen area, and starts talking to the the staff and says, you know, hey, do you have any food left? <laughs> and, and he usually bums food off of them when we're not really supposed to. I mean, they're they're not planning to feed the musicians, <laughs> but and, and we're also like, what what do you do? You I can't believe you have the gall to go back there and just hit them up for a free meal. <laughs> Oh gosh! He doesn't have to sing. Frenchy. Well, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's it's when, just when hilarious, sing, and he almost always gets it too. <laughs> yeah, but if if you're singing or whatever, I don't. I mean, not that I've have that much experience, but I mean, I have to be pretty careful about what I eat before I <laughs> sing. Oh yeah, eat, completely. But, so, but not yeah, yeah I, I some of us don't. I, I definitely like to play on an empty stomach for some reason. I'm not sure why, but no, that's that. I, I have John. I, I have no idea who you're talking about, but I know that uh, it's that a phenomenon. Yeah, and they're they're out there. They are out there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just, it just seems shameless. To yeah, or you know, they'll put a they'll bring a doggy bag or a Ziploc bag or put a couple dinner rolls in their pockets. Like no, they're they're musicians out there like that. Yeah, yeah. I. You know, I don't blame them sometimes. Chris, you mentioned a, a while ago, I'm not sure if before we started or not, but that you have been to many of the the really iconic Kentucky distilleries, like on trips. Oh, yeah. You've done these tours and stuff. And Yes. Have, yes. Is there, um, which ones really stood out to you? Were, were they all kind of the same, or was there one that really was really interesting? Once I toured the Sleepy Time Lemonade Distillery, in uh hoboken hoboken the, the, the only the only tour i've ever been to was that one in uh wisconsin what oh, was that which again? distillery was that oh, 45th parallel yeah 
I actually was kind of impressed by their bourbon. It tasted like bourbon. They they make really good whiskey, actually. The, the tour guide was hilarious. Yeah, I don't they know. do a really informal. You, they show you everything. It's a small operation, and yeah, no, it's highly recommended. We I we've done it twice, or have I only done it twice? <laughs> I, I I was once. Okay, yeah, um, I've I've been there. Uh, been there twice and they yeah they do a nice little tour and you get to taste no, everything they have in production anyone in the area go to that one that's good no they're but, they're well, good and they've been around long enough that they actually have gotten good at whiskey and rye and they actually they do a wheat whiskey also that's decent mm-hmm. and um yeah it's good but that that's the main one i have seen they were kind of on the forefront of this trend i think for the local distilleries but what? Yeah, I want to hear more about this, Chris. So you're, yeah. Uh... So, um, I would say, I'll I'll just start by saying, um, if you are planning a a trip to, uh, to Kentucky, um, you can't do it in a day. So, uh, like for example, my dad and I went down, and we we only had a day to do this uh, because we were visiting family in Southern Indiana. So, mm-hmm. I for whatever reason, realized, oh my gosh, we're only three three hours away from uh, Louisville, and right, why right. don't we go there? And then and then from there, uh, you know, just just make a, make a list, and you know, go down to Bardstown, uh, and then go from there. So uh, we we did um, a total of three tours, and we actually had four on the list. Uh, so. I, I don't have the geography in front of me, but you basically would would choose the distilleries in Bardstown or south of Bardstown, or you would choose the distilleries in Frankfurt or near Frankfurt. And you really can't do it in a day. So first of all, you'd have to make your decision. Um, so I made my decision. It was pr- it was hard to do because I, I like we were talking earlier, I'm a huge wild turkey fan, uh, but it made more sense for us. Uh, to to start in Bardstown, um, so we actually went to uh, started out the tour um, at Heaven Hill, and I'm a big mm-hmm. Elijah Craig Barrel Proof fan. I'm a big yeah. Pikesville Rye fan, and yeah. I had never been. I'm a big Bourbon fan. Period. So I had never been to Kentucky, wow. even growing up in Southern Indiana and visiting uh, since I moved to Minnesota in '91. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, visiting. I, I don't know why it, it didn't occur to me, but we finally did it. So went to Heaven Hill first and we did the tour. They have a, a great gift shop, um, a little bit more commercial, but a lot a lot that bourbon nerds would find really interesting, especially um, their their special bourbons that they would have out on offer. Um, so I got I got a couple of the Elijah Craig. They're called grenades, but they're basically like a hand grenade. Uh, but they're <laughs> it's, a, it's a slightly younger uh, version of their barrel proof. Um, Sounds like something you could make a cocktail with of the Molotov kind. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, and then they had okay. a couple more expensive, like the William Heaven Hill, uh, but that was like two fifty. At any rate, what was interesting about and please uh, interrupt me because I might wax eloquent about my a couple stops. But <laughs> Heaven Hill was really interesting um, because we did we did the tour and they 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 give you uh, uh, several different samples of their bourbons. You know, starting probably the Evan Williams single barrel and then Elijah Craig and then Pikesville and then a couple others. And then they had one that was, uh, they wanted to make the point that 
age isn't everything. And so they had a 25-year-old bourbon that they didn't sell, but they wanted people to taste what an overaged bourbon tastes like. And 25? 25, yep. And okay. I, I actually kind of liked it. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the profile would be more bitter, more astringent. And um, so this They went, this tour they guy, went too far? Yeah, it went too far. Um, <laughs> it, it uh, you know, I think the younger bourbons, like the cabin still probably is uh, precocious and sweet and a, <laughs> maybe a little prickly, a little spicy from the youth. But yes, very you, nice. I like that description. <laughs> you can go. You can go the other way too. Um, so you know, there's a lot of master distillers that would actually say, um, "I kind of like my bourbon six to eight years old." Um, that but, is a kind of a sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I, I might like a little older on a lower floor, but that's just me. But the the cool thing about Heaven Hill um, was just seeing the massive amount of rick houses that they had. And the rickhouses had this uh, oh. black uh, mold or fungus that's actually um, produced by the evaporating alcohol, I believe. Oh, so man. all of the rickhouses kind of have these uh, black black marks on them. But the, the cool thing is this uh, tour guide probably worked at Heaven Hill for 50 years. And, uh, and I asked her some questions because most people are just there for tourism or to, to get a nice buzz going. And I said, <laughs> okay. I really like uh, I really like um, um, your rye whiskey and uh, the Rittenhouse rye and uh, yeah and where you know do you do you have a specific and actually Pikesville as well Pikesville is a slightly older so I said do you age Pikesville um, specific in a specific warehouse because you know much like wine uh, terroir would would matter for where you put the rick house if it's up on a hill gets way more airflow than down in a valley and you know i i don't know all the particulars there but they actually have specific rick houses for specific bourbons and um so for pikesville they age it and i have a note here they they age it in a specific warehouse on the sixth floor only and i don't know (laughs) if i still have it it was you know warehouse g on the sixth floor is where they put all of the barrels of rye whiskey destined to become Pikesville. So I always found that interesting, and I think they they do that at quite a few distilleries. Uh, they they know the various rickhouses. Um, uh, like one of the one of the best Heaven Hill bourbons that I've had was the Parker's Heritage, and each year they come out with with a Parker's Heritage uh, bourbon. And back in the day, Parker Beam. Um, was their distiller of the Beam family, but he worked at uh, Heaven. It's just it's crazy, yeah. yeah. But it's uh, not Jim. So it's not Jim, it's not Jim Beam. It's... <laughs> exactly. Um, he made he made uh, a Promise of Hope uh, bourbon, uh, and probably came out in 2013 or so. And it was my absolute favorite bourbon. I found three bottles of it. I would hoard it, um, but it was from his favorite uh, Rick House at his favorite proof from wow. his floor oh and it was God. just like this perfect quintessential bourbon and you know it would if uh, you you'd talked about eagle rare 10 i would i would can i would compare it to eagle rare 10 but with much more flavor and a longer finish like a, a finish crazy loads um but yeah so that was a huge takeaway from heaven hill is i didn't i didn't know that they aged bourbon 
purposefully. And I think they do that um, at Jim Beam. You know, they have different recipes and they have different floors that they would age. You know, Booker's is from the center cut, you know, the third, fourth, fifth floor of the warehouse just because it, it's more temperate and uh, uh, less less swings of temperature. You know, heat rises. So on the, the top floors, you know, you might get up to 130 degrees in the winter or in the summertime. Um, Heaven Hill was great. Uh, we went to Willet after and Willet is oh, wow. eight stones throw away. It's probably 300 yards down, down, uh, from heaven. Oh Hill. my God. Uh, oh no. It, it, and I didn't realize these distilleries were so close together. Willet wow. was really cool because it's much smaller. Um, and they were just getting into distilling their own, um, spirit, um, after, most of Willet, I believe, comes from Heaven Hill. They sourced uh, from Heaven Hill for many, many years, and they probably mm-hmm. still do. But they're actually distilling. Um, there, we could uh, take a, a tour really in depth from from the from when the grains are delivered to the rickhouse to when it's bottled. So it was wow. really in depth. And I'll never forget the smell of going into a rickhouse full mm-hmm. of aging bourbon. It's one of the best smells I've ever. I mean, if they could bottle it and make it into uh, cologne or hand soap, it would be <laughs> or candle. I'd be in, in into it. Um, Willet was amazing, uh, and and I'm excited to try their actual uh, spirit that they're distilling now. Um, and then we went to Maker's Mark. Took quite a long drive down to Loretto, which is a beautiful drive. Uh, and then Maker's Mark was probably the most complete of the tours. It still was sort of touristy, but it was so slick and so well done um, that that was probably my favorite of the of the tours. Unfortunately, we we were going to go to Four Roses, but they were closed by the time uh, we got there. So I think that the big takeaway oh my is God, plan you, trip. Almost... you can't do it all. So um, plan your trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Ooh. And that that. Um... That smell in the rickhouse thing is something that, you, I, that unfortunately you don't get at a place like 45th Parallel because it doesn't have that environment no. and, and mm. massive volume. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they have a, a relatively small warehouse, and you can definitely smell some some aging oak goodness in there. And you they, they actually let you smell inside of a used barrel, which is kind of instructive. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, they, they, they show you everything that they have, but... The, the operation's not not the same, and obviously the climate right. in Wisconsin is not the same as Kentucky. No, no. Just no. like it, it, the one of the things that was really interesting that came out years ago, actually, was when um, they started uh, doing single malt whiskey in India. Oh, and that Ruth. stuff. Yeah, John, yeah. you hit that. We were we were playing yeah. a gig at uh, Medina Ballroom. Yep, and I yep. never had that before. Oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep, I and I haven't had it for a long time, but the fact that they, they can produce Scotch-style whiskey in such a small amount of aging time is, is really something. because the heat or something. Yeah, right? yeah, they're, they're, the climate just really the makes climate. a big difference. and Speeds uh, it up. And and I've heard even like Ralphie complaining about UK or Scottish um, distillers who are getting into even stuff like rum and all that stuff and the climate kind of works against them for some for some spirits because they don't age them as long and they don't have that especially with rum i think when you when it really works best in the hot climates 
Mm-hmm. And and, mm-hmm. and and apparently the stuff that, at least according to him, that they're putting out in the UK is kind of anemic and not very interesting. Well, Scotch is weird, though, too, because Scotland is not very large. But it, it seems like there are these regions that have really, really, really different stuff. Oh, whether yeah. it's on the ocean or what this kind of sea or that kind of sea or well, plus I, I... malted barley is just a different thing, <laughs> as far as far as how how it reacts to 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 the wood and the the climate and everything else than the the big corn mash bill that American whiskeys usually have. But I didn't I didn't realize that hey this is near the ocean, so it's got that sea salt yeah there's a salinity to to um you know i, I would say like the campbelltown malts like uh spring bank mm-hmm. or the islay i i think i think they're or Speyside. i think there is a salinity to like talisker lafroig uh lagavulin it's definitely spring there mm-hmm. right the, the funniest thing amazing, that I'll, I'll i'll just as a quick sidetrack since i i thought of it just now is I was watching this um, old movie that that it's called Mr. Roberts. Uh, you can look it up. It's made in the fifties. It's kind of a World War Two service thing. You know, they're all on a navy ship and all that stuff. And John likes old movies involving whiskey. Ah, you know, I th- th- which which Chris, if you haven't seen it, um, check out a movie called Whiskey Galore. I have not, and um, I have. I was just yeah, gonna say that's Chris, the best watch one. That movie, Chris. It was, and, and there, there's a remake of it, which I think is not very good. But the original one came out in the late '40s, and it takes place in Scotland. And it, wait, it, it's hold, a, stop, stop. There's a remake of Whiskey Galore. There actually is. I haven't seen what, it. What what year? Mm, well, sometime in the last ten years. Oh what? Oh, you, you're very outraged. I can tell. <laughs> was it J.J. Abrams? It was a prequel. Yeah, it has lots of lens flare. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but um, yes, whiskey galore, the original version, it's great. Yeah, it's about this 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 little island in Scotland that runs out of scotch. <laughs> it it it's very good. But anyway, so this in this movie though, there the 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 ship's doctor needs to come up with some some scotch to bribe somebody with or something like that. And it's not the love boat. He's trying to, uh, no, no, unfortunately not. Um, I, I don't think they would run out of whiskey. <laughs> no, this is, this is, you know, all, all he has is like just some kind of medicinal type of alcohol on hand. And he needs to like trick somebody into thinking it's like red label or something like that, which was the, the peak of, <laughs> what they could get then it was probably quite good in the 40s red label. you know actually i heard oh, i've wow. heard red label used to be really quite good to go back in time <laughs> if, you and, could, if you could go back in time try and that. so he he puts oh, he puts great. he takes this clear you know nasty medicinal alcohol and he he, he puts a splash of coca-cola in it and they taste it and like yeah, that's a little closer and, and then he puts a drop of iodine in it <laughs> <laughs> for for that kind of maritime look it's just like wow oh, he's making he's making taliskers <laughs> yeah. some band-aids in there too yeah yeah, so, yeah it's, it's hilarious I like, and, 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 and they totally fell for it of course in the movie but uh, the fact that they they thought they were making their own scotch <laughs> uh so we love it 
Yeah, I, I've taken a note down for whiskey galore. I, yeah, go go I, seek uh, it out. Yeah, and you'll see lots of <laughs> very vintage looking bottles of scotch, and it, it's very funny. Just this goofy World War II kind of thing where we we get into some weird things where we're recommending whiskey uh, movies and books now. That's kind of odd. Well, it's kind of like a whiskey pairing or a wine pairing. You know, wine, uh, wine and whiskey oh, go. Oh yeah, that food. would be movie yeah. night. Yeah, <laughs> time to lean movie night. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. I just took a sip. <laughs> Are you still on the the makers? I have to say, yeah, I, okay. I'm on it. Um, it tasted a heck of a lot better um, last week when I was reading um, Pappy Land. For some mm. reason, weeded bourbon really tasted great when I was uh, reading that book. But today, not so. It's it's astringent. It's uh, what I don't know. Not pleasure. Interesting. Yeah. What? But it. So okay, when did you open it? When you first tasted it, though, because if it if, if it's out for a while, that's different. Yes. Um, so it it's probably been um, oxygenating for thirty five forty minutes, and it's actually gotten gotten worse. Oh, interesting. Um, oh no. So weird. These in, in these times, I uh, will go for something else. But yeah, my palate is a little different today, but. Um, it sure was delicious uh, a week ago. <laughs> Interesting. I, I've unfortunately gotten to the point where I've had so much higher proof whiskey that if I have something at like 40%, it's just kind of blah, you know, just nothing there. It, it's hard to, like like the, I, I mentioned this a few episodes ago, but um, I, I was at somebody's house and he had some Johnny Walker blue label, which mm. I don't, I don't generally buy, but I, it, it's really nice scotch, but I just found it so hard to pick flavors out of because it's it's a weak 40 percent scotch it's not low quality stuff but it's just like this just doesn't taste like anything some of the time what are what are all the different colors of johnny walker pink no (laughs) we have a quiz well red red is the bottom yep black red uh green label which is probably my favorite oh green is great yeah. Yeah. If I have to buy one, that's the one I would buy. Um, blue labels, the the kind of expense account. I have lots of money to burn on whiskey, so I buy this. Are you saying Matthew P? We'll, 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 <laughs> he we'll he edit did that have out. it, but it was given to him as a gift. So, John, how about a gold label? That's the one I have not tried. What? Actually, have there's, you tried it? A gold. Have, have yeah. you tried it, Chris? Yeah, it was one of the first um, splurge what? bottles that I ever bought because I, I didn't old? Want it. It was probably, you know, 22 years old and I couldn't afford the blue label. So I bought the green label. And at the time, it was an 18 year old uh, blended scotch, I believe. Um, gold and used to be I don't 18, I don't yeah. know. You know, it's it's lower. I, I don't know if it's quite 40 proof. It might be a little bit higher than that, but it yeah. just it was um you know, not pleasurable. the The green label is the only Johnny Walker that has a blend of single malts and yes. not grain. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I do like black label too. I don't want to get off topic, but I think green oh, or gold was the only one um, that you'd miss. I, I will never never turn down black. It, it, black is a no. good blended scotch. The only things that I've bought recently have been those single barrels of bourbon. Yeah. Uh, you know, scotch I'm really deep on, and uh, I'm just kind of going back into the collection. And it's like, 
what am I keeping this for? You know, U.S. U.S. law for private resale of liquor is kind of non-existent and illegal. Yeah. And it's like, am I going to sell? Am I collecting it or am I drinking it? Um, so I haven't been as regular of a liquor store customer. Um, so I'm going to have to go back and, and check it out and see what's see what's going. I, I think I think what you need to do after John and I have had our uh, <laughs> vaccines. Is invite us over to try oh, all these things. <laughs> you would be more, absolutely more than welcome. I I have not. I have had a very very small core of people. A couple uh, work colleagues. We've all been working from home, and and uh, my parents basically since yeah, March. Sounds um, familiar. And, you know, so right. I, I would, it would be uh, amazing. And I'd, uh, you, I would, uh, let you guys open up, uh, one bottle each from the collection, whatever you oh want. Oh my God. Wow. Holy crap, Chris. Yeah. It, Why I, not? I, I forget, um, if I uh. brought this on at one of our trips or not, but one of the very few single barrel scotch I've had is this old Pulteney. Oh that, yeah, tell uh, me about that. I yeah. I think I had some, but that night was a bit foggy. <laughs> yeah, so one of those 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 uh, Friday nights on Mackinac <laughs> yeah. Island. Yeah. You know, three at night. Yeah. A bit um, foggy. This this is this is a, a liquor store exclusive barrel one, which is kind of unusual for Scotch. Oh, very much. Um, that's yeah. why I picked it up, and it's a, I think it's thirteen years old. Out of cast strength, uh, you know, all the Ralphie checklist, so no color, no f chill filtration, all that mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> and it's it's really, really good. I, I like it a lot. And I'm not super familiar with the distillery. I mean, I've seen it around and stuff. I think they have a 12-year standard version out there. But um, it's really good. It, it's a little bit, for what it is, a little expensive. I think it's about 100 bucks. But again, it's fairly unique. I, as I said, single barrel scotches are, in the United States are very unusual. Yeah, un unless you went to a distillery and and paid for a barrel um, there or a cask, I guess. But yeah, yeah uh, I I only heard of Old Pulteney through Ralphie, and I think yeah. Old Pulteney was one of his whiskeys of the year. And I I picked up two bottles of it and drank yeah. through one quite quickly. I, I oh. I've bought the last two or three whiskey of the year ones, and oh. the the best one I had was Glen Alecky, I think, was the one I I've liked the most. Um, no. That that's a nice, and it's not expensive. I think it's just a twelve year, mm -hmm. and that that is a nice mm. nice whiskey for the money. I also had Deanston. He recommended that. I wasn't quite as fond of that one, but uh, they weren't expensive, so I'll, uh, that's the good part. Yeah, I got into Glendronic, the uh, the fifteen oh. year, the green, uh, the green bottling. Um, upon I, his, I, I need to try Glen, Glendronic. That's on my list. Well, then, then um, John, that could be your bottle that we open, and that's probably yeah. from when he recommended it, like twenty thirteen. And rumor is yeah. there was much older whiskey added, and I would have to think it is. Mm -hmm. um, it from what I remember, it's almost like drinking. Gosh, I like almost like this might sound bad, but there's a there's a it's almost like raisin puree um, because there's yeah. so there's so much of that sherry character because they were using yeah, wow. they were using those really old uh, sherry barrels from Spain that actually aged sherry for 30 years as opposed to now where they're kind wow. of 
rinsing the barrels or not aging it as as much. So well, yeah, you hear that um, actual sherry barrels are pretty rare these days mm-hmm. because yep. there's just not much of it made, and that 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 and of course the probably the first Scotch besides the uh, Glenfiddich, which I had many many years ago. The first one I really loved besides that was probably good old Macallan 12 back oh yeah you know 15 years ago and back when it was not quite so expensive and um I find it a little bit boring now but those sherry bomb scotches are still are can really really do it for me (laughs) Chris would you send us a picture of your uh if you can send us a picture of your your stuff yeah. Sure. Yeah. It'll take well, a, it'll take a couple pictures. <laughs> no, yeah, your do vault. panoramic. <laughs> yeah. Do the panoramic thing. Well, if I, you I, I've got I've got um, <laughs> I've got three actually three locations. Um, I have a, a closet. I have a shelf, um, in in my downstairs uh, uh, family room. I have a closet downstairs, and then I have a little rack in my laundry room. So I've. I have three spots. So how many of these okay. bottles do you keep? Are they are how many of them are open at any given time? Uh oh gosh, right now I'd say probably uh 20 open, okay. but I I do use the Argon gas, the wine preserver. That was my next question. Do you do, I heard about again good old Ralphie what? talks about that that yeah. Wait, gas. What, what what is this? Why what, what are you pulls doing? The do you have a laboratory? A <laughs> <laughs> He's a mad scientist. Yeah. Well, go for it, John. Go for it, John. Yeah, no, it just uh, you put this this inert gas in there, and it it removes the oxygen, so it stops it from oxidizing. <laughs> it, Which in is the a whole thing. room? No, no, Phil, not the whole room. In the bottle, just in the bottle. You know, I would love that. So we can. How stop. do you do that? Yeah. What do you? you what do you put? What do you? What do you do? What do you put in the bottle? People. Just give it a little puff. <laughs> and, into the bottle. <laughs> So I, that that leads me to a, a random question. We, <laughs> circling back to um, wild and crazy guys stories about weddings, is what happens when weed becomes mainstream and legal everywhere, and people are just doing that at weddings instead of booze? How's that going to work? Are they just going to fall asleep? Or... <laughs> well, I mean, there there are two. St- like I'm not beast? a professional. I <laughs> play one at home. No. <laughs> Sativa and Indica. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I thought you were going to ask what happens if musicians do it. I. I personally. Well, I can't. think they already do. Jazz. No, no, no. That's a long-standing tradition. But no, I, it just it it. I wonder how the culture will change about that, if it something will or, or maybe they'll just coexist well i think i think they'll coexist i mean if if i were to use um my friend group as an example i think um some people use it as a substitute for alcohol and uh and then others might use it um to re to limit or reduce their alcohol intake but still get uh, pleasant um, effect. Right, so right. I think I think people would probably um, use it in concert. I would yeah. I would think. No, I suspect um, though peaceful coexistence. In, 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 in the a concert. Oh, <laughs> oh well, of course, nothing better. <laughs> no, I just think all the crazy things and 
and then after the couple hours goes by, they're, oh, all, well, they're all getting the munchies. Just, <laughs> well, there's always there's always the crazy people, and I think if they get if they're used to drinking to get bombed, and then they add something on top of it, it's going to be even worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the 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 crazy stories are not going to go away. Uh, no, they'll get probably crazier. Oh, maybe slower. They'll get slower, but crazier. Probably. Hey, yeah, hopefully fewer fights. Yeah. <laughs> so what what would be the Mecca, the pilgrimage of a bourbon? Where would you go if you had to pick the Mecca of bourbon? Gosh. Louisville, Bardstown, or Frankfurt? I, I kind of think three Bardstown. things. There's only one Mecca. Bard, I, then I'd have to say Bardstown because yeah. you're so close. Uh, and I didn't mention, by the way, on the way to Heaven Hill, you pass uh, you pass uh, Jim Beam, at least one of their distilleries. I think they have two. And also uh, a large uh, rickhouse area for Four Roses. But you're so close to several distilleries. So I, in my very uneducated um, view, I'd say Bardstown. There's also a couple really, there's at least one really cool liquor store that's got, I, I still have unopened bottles from that hall. And um, one of the favorites, I bought a whole case of um, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Six Year, which you can't get in God, Minnesota. No, no. Yeah. I think it's a Kentucky only bourbon. Yeah. Holy so crap. I, I had to get it. And um, still have a couple bottles left. And, um, um, We'll have to open one of those up because I think it strikes the perfect balance between what you would smell in if you opened up one of their wash tubs or wash backs and compared it to what's aging in the Rick House because it still has the youth of like that sour mash uh, or the mash that they have in the in their in their wash tons uh, and and what is aging. Um, so that, that one is pretty nostalgic for me, but, um, killer liquor store. They had, they had a bunch of four roses, um, single barrel picks, you know, old, I, the, I, I did finish one. It was about 12 years and five months old. <laughs> like you just, they, for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're in Kentucky. Um, so long story short, I'd say Bardstown, but I, I Phil, I've only been there once, so I can't wait to go back. Oh. Have you ever been in the, like the duty free shops in the airport and stuff like that? And you see the stuff that they don't sell here. Yes, <laughs> and it I I so rarely have the opportunity to buy it. And some of it's just they're just very slight versions of mainstream stuff. But there, you always hear about things that are in what this mythical thing called travel retail. Mm -hmm. That um, it's just like oh, I'd really love to try one of those, or <laughs> or you have to get somebody who are you traveling can you get me one of these <laughs> and it's kind of a big ask to have somebody haul a bottle of whiskey around with them <laughs> still it's it the the whole way people buy stuff is, is kind of messed up with that or of course you hear some people can have things shipped you can buy online and all that and of course minnesota doesn't allow that so i can't order any of that stuff it's so. just arcane, very archaic laws um, right. in the United States about that, especially in Minnesota. I think things are relaxing a little bit, but we can't we can't ship, we can't order distilled spirits into the state, right? Nope, nope. Like like there there's that um, outfit called I think uh, is it called Flaviar or one of those that you can get like different 
sample sizes of lots of different spirits all over the world, kind of like a you know, book of the month club. <laughs> and I, it sounds really cool. I've, they have some interesting stuff and you get to try many more things that aren't available here. And of course they don't ship here. It's really, it's really disappointing. And yeah. there's, there's some, I think, I think our liquor distributors in the state also don't get the first shipments of things uh, very often. Maybe because Minnesota wasn't historically known as a bourbon consuming state as much. I think things have changed a little bit, but right. you know, there there were always different things that you would see on whiskey blogs. You know, this was probably before oh, I know. Ralphie that you would say, "Oh my God!" That you'd kind of almost like um, at least I obsessed about it, and it's like, why can't we get this stuff here? Yeah, and the last the 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 last two bottles. I've had of Blanton's were from South South and North Dakota <laughs> because oh. that's, that's where they turned up and somebody grabbed them for me. That's well, that's good. You've got a couple <laughs> whiskey fuels, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, and I, they, they, people know that I'm looking out for stuff. And I, I had a sister-in-law that used to work with liquor distributors and she doesn't know, but she would occasionally see things. And that, that was really cool. But I, I just feel like it, it's like back to our discussion about all those rare, r- super rare, trendy whiskeys. In the end, <clears throat> I'm only willing to go so far because yep. there are there's so much better stuff out there. And yes, if somebody says, hey, I found a bottle of X, Y, or Z, that's cool. I would love it. But it, the the Blantons, as much as I like it, I don't, I don't even know if that's the best bourbon I've ever had. I mean, it's maybe up there, but... <laughs> You know, it's it's, well, it's, a, it's, good. it's pretty complete. I mean, but I don't. I, I I would love to do a blind tasting of some of these harder to find bourbons compared to like Buffalo Trace. Well, exactly. now Buffalo Trace is kind of hard to find. But uh, <laughs> I know that, that fear of missing out um, exactly. drove me nuts and drove me to spend a lot of time searching out bourbons uh, and cultivating you know these uh, relationships with liquor store managers that. Uh, you know, after a while, it just got really exhausting. Yep. And then I got back into wine. Like I've always, my family's always had wine and I got back into wine because wine was a lot easier, uh, to, to buy, um, than going for the really limited edition stuff. And especially after, yeah. and I'm probably part of the problem getting into bourbon, you know, uh, post 2010 or so when the, the boom really started, but it just got frustrating to to go to liquor stores and, um, you know, go in the door and then almost, I, at least for me, I felt almost pressured to, you don't necessarily browse in a liquor store and leave without nothing. So mm-hmm. I'd end up with, you know, a bottle of this that I didn't necessarily need. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, it, I've been burned um, on that, but it's always good to have people looking out for you and, and shipping you stuff. And that that was the the fun part about uh, going to different states on gigs, you know, you'd you'd uh, go across different different things that you couldn't necessarily yeah. get. And in, I, I uh, like you, I try to make it a point of if I have time, looking in random stores out of town, out of state, yep. especially, and that that's important. So, Chris, one of the things uh, part of our format is that we, um, we we do a song on each episode. Yeah, let me know. 
This might be a strange one. I'll write a whiskey song. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I, it, something comes... galore. That would be really cool if you could do that, Chris. Phil, I'd, well, I'd be more than happy to. Because oh, I haven't yeah. had a gig since October. Yeah, so. that's that's me too. I, it's terrible. <laughs> I, I need to hmm. tap into that more. <laughs> I think yeah, I think okay. this time of year, I'm not sure about you, John, but yeah. I, I'd have oh my God. like five, ten church services and just going from it's place really, to place. Yeah, I, I, and, I, I keep seeing, I keep seeing all these, all these gigs on my calendar that nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and th- it's like you said, this time of the year is just so busy. It, it would have kind of tailed off by now, but the first half of the month, just so many really fun, fun jobs that. I didn't get to do this year and then New Year's Eve and whatever, but, um, it's, it, I'm feeling it. it it's, it's rough. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that a lot of this stuff will come back. People will really want to, uh, have live music again and everything. And I'm hoping it's I, like a pent up demand. Exactly. Well, wouldn't, yeah. it, wouldn't it be crazy though? I, 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 I'm thinking it will be like tenfold. Yeah, that, that exactly. I, I, I hope it really, really explodes i'm gonna have a wedding and i've already been married <laughs> there you go <laughs> i'll hire you guys Fine. i'd love to play i'd love to play anywhere it's just it's yeah. not for me it's i don't have that much of a motivation to take my uh instruments out of the case right now oh it's terrible yeah you're so oh i should oh, I, I, should, I should i should Our... do some playing and i'm let letting chops go and whatever and it's like uh <laughs> or i could go watch some some show or play a video game. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. terrible. I think you both know Bob. He Bob lives Byers, two houses yeah. down from me. Yeah. Well, oh, no way. Two houses, yeah. huh? Yeah, no, yeah. they're on the same street. It's hilarious. Oh, I, I I tell you this guy, I walk because I go for walks and I don't know what he, he plays the craziest riffs. <laughs> I maybe riffs isn't the right word. For, uh, oh, it might be. I think so. Whatever <laughs> instrument he's playing, but but he's he's really trying. It seems like he's really trying to hone in on this. He's trying to get this one passage just right, and it it it, it is just amazing. To, I would just walk by, and I hear this guy playing from from his house. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and he's inside right the now, house. It's it, not it, like it, he's it, out in the yard or something. Yeah. <laughs> but all that. But I don't know what song it it goes to, but it's not important. It's right. Bob, though. Yeah, it's, no, Bob is a character. It's several times that I've gone by there. It's the same passage that he's trying to master, I think. <laughs> but I don't know what song it's from. Oh, I should ask gosh. him. I should ask him. Yeah, but, they're both West St. Paul guys. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I had no idea. That's a small world. Is that oh, funny? <laughs> sometimes I uh, plow his uh, sidewalk. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Might, yeah, Bob, uh, he's, he's in, in just one in a million. Yeah. Well, he's... And Phil, you haven't lived until you've heard Bob impersonate Frankie Valley. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. No. <laughs> I would love to yeah. hear that. He just needs a little, little encouragement with uh, <laughs> gig juice, shall we call it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bob, Bob likes a good rye. I know that's yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, well, thank you, 
very Chris, much. Chris, so. yeah, thanks for coming okay, on. It's yeah, been really it's, fun. It's amazing. I, I learned so much about whiskey. Well, um, Phil, uh, really great to meet you. And, and John, obviously, great to hear your voice again. Um, yeah, likewise. And uh, to be on this, uh, on this series. Uh, I really feel honored to talk about it. I know it's been a long time in the in the making so i appreciate your patience oh, no, with everything. no no worries Rather. at all it's it's yes, really fun yes. to hear your perspective well and, worth the wait well worth the wait and we we, I, we do a- actually edit this down <laughs> to an hour ish <laughs> it always comes out in the wash right. yep 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 that's how cool. we that's how my dad still pronounces it southern indiana farm boy the wash and and, <laughs> that, and that's a that's a south dakota ism too oh, okay West yeah, we we we. This has been great because we have not talked about nostalgia uh, from Western oh, South Dakota the whole I have, time. Are you both from South Dakota? We're both from yeah. Rapid City. Yes. Okay. Do you happen to know Josh Tompkins? Oh, I I totally. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Chris, because <laughs> I I went to we went to high school with him. Okay. And and we this has come up at a gig. I don't know. Remember how? But you probably asked me the same thing. I was like. Really, I can't believe you know this guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Josh is a character. Piano player. Yeah. And yep. he used to play at this variety show at our high school. And he wasn't in the musical groups with a bunch of us, so we just kind of knew him when he would magically appear <laughs> at, at, at at this variety show and play this really flashy stuff. Campers. Yeah. And 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 people just like like bowled over. It's like, wow, he's amazing. Like the you know, Rapid City Liberace or something. <laughs> no, I call I call him the straight Liberace. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I mean, he was really he 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 could nail the stuff, and he he had it all memorized. And maybe he played by ear. I'm not sure at that time, but wow, yeah, it, yeah. We we used to, uh, the band the band geeks. We were all kind of we were probably jealous, so we we would kind of ridicule him. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, yes, I, that's such a small. And how do you know Josh? Well, uh, Josh was a, um, we, we played tons of gigs together and he's, he's also like a adjunct faculty. So I, I knew him oh, cool. way back. Um, but you know, we, oh gosh, we, there's some, there's some fun gig stories. He, he likes to have a lot of fun, but he, he eventually earned his, uh, DMA and, mm-hmm does adjunct uh, professorships, I think at a couple smaller colleges. Um, but yeah, I think he's still playing as much as he can. I mean, pre COVID. Oh man. man. Okay. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. Well, yeah. Th- thanks a lot, Chris. And oh, thanks, well, Chris. Man, okay. <laughs> Good night. Good night guys. Have a great, night, great holiday. Chris. Thank you very much. Chris. Okay. My Bye-bye. absolute, my pleasure. It was a, oh. a bright spot in, in COVID for sure. It was yes. great to see. Yeah. Wait, Wait, wait till you have to work on the song. Okay. <laughs> I'll, get my, I'll get my best reads going. Woo! <laughs> All right. Blue read. The guys weren't able to connect in time to get Chris uh, Chris's track on here, uh, the song you're going to hear, but we hope to add him uh, in time for the album release on Bandcamp. So keep a lookout for that one. Anyway. Here's the song! This particular disease, peculiar, familiar. This particular disease, curricular, perpendicular, like.
rancher with his favorite cigar A wedding party with an open bar A short drive in a long black car Every hole is under par Like a walk with your main squeeze On a hot day with a nice cool breeze You don't need to mind your cues and peas You don't need to say thank you please This particular disease is peculiar Particular, vermicular.